So welcome new members. I'm Kelly. I am a urologist. Um, I started room one a year, year and a half ago at this point. Um, there's like four dozen members in here now, which is amazing. Not everybody can make the live coaching. So awesome when you can, but don't feel pressured that you have to. They're all put in video on the private membership site and then the audio is pulled and it's put on a private podcast. If you don't have access to that yet or you want access to it, Sharon is our virtual assistant. She's a real person um, and she is very responsive um, and is awesome and helps with that because Jess and I still have day jobs. We are surgeons, we delegate. So Sharon's your question for like, I can't find X, Y, and Z, or I'm having trouble with the private podcast, or I have a question or whatever else you have. Sharon's really the one who will field that. Um, her email is, it's either coach or it's info at, I don't know, it's on, it's on, the, it's on the website. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to give you guys the intro to my story real quick, just in case you haven't heard it and you're interested, like, how did I turn to this person with crazy hair and like coaching on my t-shirt? Cause I was legit, not this person like three years ago. Um, I got into, I started getting into mind work third year of residency. I did a six year urology residency. They're dying. Their most residencies are five years now. Um, six year urology residency in Denver and about their third year I was like, I was burnt out. I was like taking wine into the bathroom and like drinking it in the shower when I got home from work um, on call every other night. Um, I can only see now that I was burnt out and using alcohol as a buffer, which we'll talk about. Um, and I thought, well, if I can figure out how to control other people, then my day is going to be better. So I started like going online to try to figure that out. And however the universe happened that me trying to figure that out led to John Kabat-Zinn who's like the godfather of healthcare mindfulness um, and then Buddhist philosophy and basically in my quest to figure out how to control people I learned I can only control myself and then I learned I like to fight against reality um, so that started like a, a while ago now that was probably 08 and uh, got into mind work, went into private practice, built the building, started a surgery center, built the urology practice, did all the things, and then started kind of getting a little bit bored. And because you get good at your job, like seven years in. For anybody who's brand new and being a surgeon freaks them out, you actually get pretty damn good at your job by about year, I'd say about year five. <laughs> you can type in the chat if you think uh, you got comfortable earlier. Um, so about year seven, you get kind of bored, you get, you know, you're like, is it, am I going to see recurrent UTIs for the next, like whenever. Right. And so I was on the couch and I remember this and I remember catching my thought and my thought was, I wasn't working out very much. I had uh, two kids. Um, my thought was I will work out when I retire. And I caught the thought, like I caught it, like, and I was like, huh and I actually like looked at it and was like is this true is this my is this my plan and it was one of the my first like awarenesses of me being able to watch the thought and not like own it as it being like who I am in my truth and so I was like okay so I'm gonna work out when I retire I don't like that that's not helping me because I don't know when I'm gonna retire and I actually found a 
anesthesiologist online who had a fitness group and I, I was like and she was a mom and so I joined it and she was she was like you if you can if you stay with this fitness lifestyle you won't recognize yourself in a year and I'm like what the hell do you mean I have no idea it's probably not true I kind of know who I am I'm in my late 30s at this point my normal like resistance fighting with reality. And what I learned like three or three months into the fitness journey is like, it doesn't happen fast. All that, like six weeks to better arms, two months to better, butt shit is bullshit. Like it actually takes consistently showing up, um, to look like you work out, which I, th I think I look like I work out at this point. I'm like three years in and she turns out she was right. I did not recognize myself after a year, not because of the physical transformation, but because of the mind work that goes into becoming the person who prioritizes fitness into their life. At the same time, um, I was getting a lot into female sex med at work because I had a life-changing patient. And I was like, who's taking care of the people who are sleeping with the people that the urologists are giving Viagra to was basically like my existential crisis. And I went deep into that. And then I was like, I'm really good at the pelvis, but like sex is, there's so much brain in sex, right? Like what society tells you, your parents tell you, your past relationships have told you, body image, feelings of worthiness, feelings of, oh, sex is just extra. I don't have time for it. All those are thoughts that control what our sex life ends up being. And I was looking into coaching at that point as far as teaching it and understanding it as a way to help women with their sex lives. But I was still under the belief that like surgeons were going to get kicked out of surgery clubs <laughs> if they became, if they like went to life coach. I had like patients who were life coaches that I would like make fun of and be like, well, that's not a job. That's not a thing. What the hell is that? Like you're just somebody who's like probably failed at life. All right. Point is obstacles the way everything like I come into resistance to ends up skyrocketing in personal growth if you let it. So I actually called um, in the in the life coach school, there's about 300 physicians now that have gone through the life coach school. And I was looking at, and that's what this shirt's from, but I was looking at it and I was like, yeah, but surgeons. So Jess, I actually got connected with Jess McMichael, reached out to her and because I was like, if she's not normal, like I'm, I'm out no pressure, Jess. And a uh, caller had a conversation. She's like, yeah, it's great. Super helped me. And I'm like, I just want to learn how to do the magic. So went through life coach school training and was taught, was having a conversation with Jess. And I was like, you know, who like would be amazing to coach, but like would be the hardest people to coach female surgeons. Uh, but I'm like, just look at what it's done in my life. Like I'm such a better version of myself. I also had a big resistance to anybody trying to change me or me feeling like I needed to be changed or any of that. So like that was not going to fly for me. And now that I've you know done a lot of this work, I realized like I get to be the best version of myself instead of saying like I've completely changed. Like I still am who I am. I'm just the absolute best version of myself because of this work and thoughts and learning to not react to people and circumstance and create that space between stimulus and reaction and really, you know, getting coached on thoughts and like 
how I think the world is. So that is my short story for the new people, because I really want this, this hour to go up on the podcast for, all, I think a lot of the new people, like they just kind of get thrown into this group and they're like, because we're surgeons and we're like, here's a scalpel. It's your turn now. Like, welcome. Learn about coaching. But I wanted this to be like a really intro of like, I was not born a perfect butterfly who's like, oh, well, feeling your feelings is really important. Like I had to go through like fire and brimstone to get to this point. I am a naturally like reactive person. I have tendencies towards anger. Um, I have a decent amount of childhood trauma that like you get to learn to deal with on like learning how, why you react the way you react to the world, right? None of that would, none of this insight, of course, would have been possible without me doing all this work. But I say this to the people who are here because of like of people who are kind of like me. You know, Jess, I think it was, she, she's born, she's comes into like the love part much more easily. Like I think some people do. I come into like, I can understand anger very, very easily. Like I get it. So I'm, I wanted to say that to all the new people and to all the, all the like coaching cynical people, which you're not fully cynical if you've paid money to be in a coaching group, I fully get that. But like for anybody that I can resonate with of like them being my people, I did not, I was not born doing this. But turns out this life coach woo woo stuff, it's just ancient philosophy. It's ancient Buddhist philosophy. It's ancient Stoic philosophy. It is trying to figure out why we're here on earth. Like there's so much like, this is thousands and thousands of year old stuff. And life coaching is just like the shiny new packaging that we put on like philosophy. Life coaches are like philosophers, just helping you figure out like, why do I react the way I do? How do I want to live my best life? How do I want to achieve a goal when I don't know how to achieve that goal? Like that's all life coach stuff, which is very cool. So the second, so that's my 12 minute intro. The second part of this I wanted to talk about is just some words, kind of like some language that we use um, just to understand what they mean when we say them. Um, what Jess and I talk about a lot of is the model. And the model is kind of like this template of the way we break down scenarios. Um, I, I think it comes very naturally to surgeons. I think in flow sheets, I think in like categories, like where does this go, right? And it really is, a, I think, a very logical way to kind of break down stuff. And it's a way to communicate with people like, hey, where does that go in the model? Hey, I'm working on this. I think you know, it, it, it goes here in the model or like when people say, hey, that's just a circumstance. What do they mean when they say that? So real quick, just to run down the model for everybody. Um, and again, when you're new to this, like we'll, Jess and I will keep talking about it and it's the way we coach, even if you don't see us write down the model all the time. Also, I like to drink coffee while I coach. Okay. So C T F A. Yeah, good. It all fits. R. So circ it's circumstance is neutral. You can't put adjectives in here. This is something that would be proven in the court of law. Gravity exists on earth. Circumstance. Why that's important is whenever we talk about something, we wanna get very clear on the facts and filter out any of our perceptions we put on it. So it would be like, he was mean. No, he said words. The words he said was, I don't care about you, whatever. So you just put your facts there and you take out any adjective or meaning. Because how our body how our brain and bodies interpret the world is we're meaning-making machines. 
and it's all just information coming in. We put a meaning to it and then act accordingly, right? And in that meaning, either the insight and awareness to that meaning or our ability to just see like, that's one way of interpreting it. We can do it a different way is where all of our power is. So circumstance, then it creates a thought. Thoughts generate feelings. Try writing feelings without an F. Feelings. Um, many people will say we are feeling machines who think, right? So this is a very top-down brain has a thought, then we generate feelings. It can be possible that we can have feelings that also generate thoughts. But in, when we talk in the model, it's, it's generally a top-down, like we've taken time to cognitively think about it. I was thinking this, so I was feeling this. Feelings are sensations in the body. We all have them. Just because we were surgeons and told that they weren't important doesn't mean they're not important. That's just what we were told in our culture of learning to become a surgeon. Um, I love this quote about feelings. Nobody's died by feeling their feelings, but many people die every day trying to avoid feeling their feelings. Um, whether that's taking your life or drinking to excess or doing drugs or dangerous activities, we're trying to like, avoid feeling feelings um, but you won't die from feeling your feelings the worst thing brooke castillo says this the worst thing you're going to do is feel an uncomfortable sensation in our body and i think about like shame i hate i do not like feeling shame but i've gotten much better at feeling shame and i'm like oh well, i don't want to do this because uh, i don't want to feel blah 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 and i'm like feeling x y and z is literally just an uncomfortable sensation in the body that passes when you feel it and allow it. So feeling your feelings is a, is a complete superpower, but you've really got to realize, at least for people like me, that we were socialized, socialized in society that certain feelings are good and certain feelings are bad, right? Instead of like feelings are just sensations in our body and we tend to gravitate towards the air quote good ones because they feel good. But we've really been fed a lot in our society, like be happy all the time do x y or z to avoid sadness anger shame guilt whatever it might be my favorite again my favorite saying for people who've been here for a while my feeling is a the surgeon's favorite feeling is tight what are you feeling tight what are you feeling now tight um because we really don't understand that there's like this if you if you google like feelings wheel there's this whole wheel of feelings and you're like oh wow look at all the feelings Look at all the words we have for feelings. Okay, so circumstances create thoughts which generate feelings. Feelings are what drive our action and inaction. Everything we do or don't do in life is trying to feel a certain way because how we think it's gonna make us feel or how we wanna avoid feeling. That is just freaking neuroscience. Take an amoeba, put a noxious stimuli next to it. They're gonna move away because they don't wanna feel that. Um, okay, action. And actions are things we do and things we don't do because of our actions in our life. I put money in my bank account. I always contribute to my 401k. I, uh, whatever. I then have a result in my life, which is a nest egg, right? So actions or inactions, I never call them. I never talk to them. I never blah, blah, blah. I don't respond to their texts. I don't have a relationship with that person, right? So actions create results in our life results. This is, that's what the model is, CTFAR. It's clunky for a while. 
Um, they, the experts really recommend doing a model, two things every day, if you can. I don't do it every day because I'm not perfect. I don't meditate every day because I'm not perfect. But thought downloads being one and number two, um, writing down a model on something. So thought download is pen to paper thoughts. Just get it out. It's like cleaning. It's like it's like foam rolling your body. It's like, just get out the crap in your fascia, get out the stuff in your brain, see what's in there, see what's underlying. You're like, how do I, am feeling so anxious today. Oh, well, I'm worried about the stock market. I'm worried about Medicare's uh, declining reimbursement again for 2023, X, Y, and Z, right? Like it brings up a lot of insight into what we might be, the sensations we have in our body. So thought downloads and then running models. Um, the other two things quick, so I want to leave time for coaching and questions. If you guys have questions, type them in the chat box. Um, so that's the model. The second word I want to use that we say a lot in coaching is buffering. Buffering, the common things of buffering are like overeating, over drinking, over social media use, porn for porn consumers. Anything we do to avoid feeling a feeling or avoid moving forward in our life, avoid living living our best life. Overwork is a big one for doctors, right? If I'm too busy being busy at work, I don't have to worry about my relationships, my health, my whatever, all the things. Um, so overwork can be, and it's not that any of these things in and of themselves are bad. It's using them to buffer. That's why it's called buffering to avoid feeling a feeling. Um, I overeat haagen chip at night because I'm exhausted. And a big thing for me with that is me feeling like I air quote, deserve something, right? Um, do I deserve mint chocolate chip ice cream? Great thing to be coached on. What, is it, what does it mean to feel like you deserve something or you're deserving of something? What's your, what are you actually trying to, what's actually underneath that? Do you need mint chocolate chip ice cream every single night? Okay. So that's buffering. We talk about it a lot. Um, one year ago, I stopped drinking alcohol. <clears throat> you'll get this. If you're, if you're into personal growth, you'll get to the point where you're like, I think I'm good. I feel like I haven't grown in a while. I think I'm good. Like personal growth is like this, you guys, it is not like straight up linear. It is not just one thing. Like there's a time for rest and a time for growth. Right. I know this now because I've been doing it for a little bit, but like pretty good. Got the fitness thing down happier than I've ever been at work. My relationships are great. What's next? So I thought I would force the, force the issue by stopping drinking. And why a lot of people can't stop drinking, and I'm just going to pick on drinking, but fill in the blank with porn, overwork, overeat, over social media, is because when you get that urge, we don't know what to do about it. It feels uncomfortable. We don't like the feeling of urges. So we want to respond to something. And if you get good, and when you get good at feeling urges in your body, knowing the urges will pass. Urges usually, because it's a feeling, tend to last about 90 seconds, right? And not just distracting yourself, but truly feeling the urge and letting it pass. You realize you don't ever have to respond to your urges. You have way more control over this than you ever thought you did. So I thought I would just stop drinking for six months was my goal. I'd say it was hard for about three to four months. Um, and now I got to my sixth month, which was like right before Christmas, New Year's of last year. 
and um, really brought up for me, like, why do I drink? Why do I think I need a drink to have fun? Uh, what do I think about other people when they think about them judging me for not drinking? Alcohol is like the only drug we have to justify not consuming in our society. It's crazy. So even people who don't drink coffee don't usually have to justify why they don't drink coffee. It's very fascinating. So learned so much about urges and beliefs about alcohol, really started to appreciate in me doing that, you know, how much alcohol causes cancer, how crappy it is that it's marketed to women because you have a bigger market if both men and women drink and the rate of unhealthy drinking in women that has skyrocketed even pre-pandemic. Um, I just got to the point. So after six months, I was like, maybe I'll have some champagne for New Year's. But I'm like, no, I think I'm good. So now it's been a year and uh, you know, a day, a day at a time. But I'm like, at this point, it, it does not add anything to my life. So I don't do it. Um, so yeah, personal growth. It'll keep, if you keep being curious about like these routine things that you do, the, the opportunity for personal growth is insane. Um, one other thing to share with you, and then we'll do some coaching, is the thing we talk about in coaching, which is emotional adulthood and um, emotional childhood. This is huge. We do not get taught this. We actually, because I have kids in school, we actually get taught the opposite of this. We get taught that people tell us how to feel. Susie made you mad. No, Susie said something. I had a thought about it. I felt mad, right? But realizing you have complete control over how you feel and how you respond. Superpower, superpower. And when, so when people say I'm, a, I'm reacting, you're an emotional childhood is because whatever your spouse does, you react to it and you make it make you feel something. Well, I'm mad because blah, blah, blah. I'm sad because blah, blah, blah. Well, what are your, what are your thoughts that are making you mad and sad? Are those thoughts optional? Is it even true? If it is true, are you still choosing sad? How is that helping you? How's that not helping you? What would you rather want to feel? What are you going to need to think in order to feel that way? Right? So that's, that's really where a lot of coaching comes in. And sorry, if you're going to have to re-listen to this, maybe at not 1.5 speed, but uh, cause I'm throwing a lot at you, but really realizing that when the OR charge nurse tells me I can't go because an eyeball case got added on, like she didn't make me angry. I chose to be angry. Right. Things like that. So it really gives us so much power over how we should. And again, ancient philosophy guys, ancient humans trying to figure out how to live their best life. This is not new shit, but the way our society, like Coca-Cola is going to make you happy. Look at all the marketing of Coca-Cola. Choose Coca-Cola so you have happiness. It's all about wanting to feel a certain way or not feel a certain way. But realizing when you're in emotional adulthood, you get to choose how to react. Take some work to find that space, to know what your triggers are, to start feeling like, hold on, I need a minute, right? Creating that space because we're so used to just reacting. And I just reacted and I just reacted to the healthcare system, to my nurses, to my patients for so long. And for me, I got coached on a difficult patient probably two years ago now. She was angry and for a long time. And this is what we get told, right? Because we get told Prescani scores, patient satisfaction matters. And it does for your paycheck. And I think that's 
bullshit. But um, we're not in charge of other people's emotions, you guys. We are not in charge of them. It's it's which is great news because that means that they could be in charge of our emotions, and we, and we don't actually want that, right? So I got charged. I got coached on this difficult patient, and she was angry, and I was trying to to make her not be angry. And the coach was like, why not just let her be angry? Like, just let her be angry. And what I was making that mean, well, if she's angry, that means X, Y, and Z, instead of like justifying this adult's emotions of like, yeah, be angry. I totally see it. And I started playing with that now. When you let, in my experience, when you let your patients have their own feelings, be like, great, be angry. I might even be angry if I was in your shoes too. I can totally see how you could be angry. Their defenses just drop. You're not trying to change them. Doesn't mean you have to bend over backwards or offer them free surgery or whatever they're demanding, but let them have their emotion. You're not in charge of trying to make them feel a different way. Also, it creates a huge safe space for them. Like how often are you actually just allowed to be angry and held in that space in the world? right? Not often. So emotional adulthood, emotional childhood, really amazing concepts that can help a lot in life. So raise your hand if you want coaching, put it up now, because I'm going to try to get to everybody who wants it, um, unless everybody raises because, because half an hour. Um, oh, the other thing, I, I'm going to type this up and put it in the room one Facebook account too, because these are amazing questions that are great to journal on. But I won't, I'm not going to perseverate a lot because I want to have time to coach. But questions for you because we're in quarter three Jess and I broke the quarters up into um, mind because we're all very associated with our mind as surgeons and people who went to medical school mind comes very easy for us it's much easier for us to say how we're think for how we're thinking than how we're feeling if you even ask like hey um how do you feel about that they'll often tell you how they're thinking about that because we're very mind-based we're actually quite decently dissociated from our body and what we're feeling um so mind came first for that reason then body and then now it's soul and soul to me today really means like the essence of who you are not who we're trying to be not who we've been trained to be not who we think our mom wants us to be but like the essence of who you are, it says one definition of soul. And so these questions were for that since we're now in the, in the soul quarter. Don't worry if that's still too woo for you, we'll be moving on to work in the fourth quarter. Um, but so these questions are, what does it mean to really be you? What prevents you from your true full capacity best self? And where are you most truly yourself? Sub-question to those, where are you pretending, hiding, or lying, and why? Doesn't mean you have to do anything with these answers, you guys. It's just an awareness practice to be like, if you truly want to be living your best life, one way is to uncover, like, where am I pretending? Where am I lying? Where am I unhappy? And what does it mean to truly be you? Because I, at this point, have done enough work number one, to start a the side gig as a coach, but where surgery for me is now one piece of what my life is. And for me, that works out the best because I was putting everything into my job. 
it was responsible for my happiness. It was responsible for all of my emotions. It was responsible for all of my definition of success. And I think that's can be debilitating for some people. You kind of get an existential crisis of like, oh, it's just a job and it doesn't love me back. Now what? I gave everything to this, right? But if your job is a surgeon, and again, I'm speaking for me having gone through a lot of work. It's one part of who I am. It's one part of what I do. But I have all these other parts and interests now. And I still only have 24 hours in the day. And I think where people get tripped up, they're like, well, just go find a hobby. And you're like, are you effing kidding me? I'm exhausted. I'm not going to go find a hobby. But when you start answering the question, like, who are you? What are you meant to do on this earth? What makes you curious? What puts you in that flow? And you start kind of incorporating that. And to me, it was fitness, um, mind work, philosophy, reading, educating women about sexual function. I love that. But if somebody was like, go do all those other things, I was like, no freaking way. Right. But because I wanted to be my best self, surgery is now just a part of it, which makes me love it even more. Cause it's like this precious little thing over here that I'm freaking good at. I get to go in and I can leave it and go over here. I don't want anybody to think that this was easy, that it's right for everybody, but I just want people to understand, like, I understand when my job was everything, when I was totally burnt out, when I was drinking red wine in the bathroom. And I was just trying to figure out how to control people. Like that's where I started from. So I hope my story and the journey helps explain why I truly believe this is incredibly important work worth doing. And like coaches have coaches, right? Like I st still, I'm going to get coached for my whole life. Like it's one thing to do it on your own, but to be in a group of people who want to improve themselves can support each other and you can get feedback and like a sounding board, it's next level stuff. So I just wanna give congratulations to the people who are here. You're here for a reason. Um, and Jess and I are here to support you while you do the good work. I think a lot of people are like, I actually talked to an OB guy who was, who paid, a, I don't know how much she paid, but she paid a decent amount to get coached kind of by like a big doctor coach. And she didn't get much out of it. And so two thoughts on that. Number one, you have to find the right people that resonate with you. Like there's a lot of coaches and a lot of styles. And like, I, I can tend to be a little more blunt. Some people love that. Some people don't love that. Some people tend to be like way more just loving and holding space and letting you share, right? So we got to find the right ones for you. But also like a coach is not like, a, you can't go buy your sexual desire. I'll use that as an example. But like, a coach is there to help you do the hard work. And I think what this ob what she was looking for is she was looking for somebody just to be like, number one, do this. Number two, do this. Like it's a checkbox. And the coaching that Jess and I do, we don't tend to always tell you what to do. Sometimes we'll give suggestions, but really that's called action line coaching, right? So coaches that just tell you what to do to get your desired result, which is fine if that's what you want. But if you want to figure out thoughts and feelings and the underlying why, that's why you'll see a lot of like, especially like stop drinking, stop eating, like the, the anti-buffering people is like, they'll just, just tell me what to do. And they'll be like, distract yourself, go chew gum instead. Make sure you drink a lot of water. Like that's action line coaching instead of like, what is the underlying reason that you feel like you deserve 
a full piece of pizza every, you know, whatever, whatever, like going under it and really understanding yourself. That's where the money is. That is where the money is. But some people don't want that. They just want to be like, tell me to chew gum and drink water. You're like, you're not going to, you're just going to replace that overeating with something else over social media, over work, over something. Cause there's still that underlying work to be done. All right, my friends, that's me rambling. So what I do is I change names and we allow you to talk and then we will try, I'll try to make room for all the people who have raised their hand today. Thank you so much for being here. All right, here we go. Hello, Thunderstorm. Hey, how are you? So good. Um, Thanks for coming so, to my TED Talk today. Oh, love it. <laughs> um, I like your shirt too. Thank you. Thank you. Um, What's so, going on? Uh, I've talked um, several times uh, recently about um, sort of what's going on with my job. Um, and I have been interviewing for other jobs. Um, and I was given an offer um, for a new job, um, which is exciting. But, and the offer is very generous, um, sort of much more than I expected. Um, but after interviewing with them and talking to the surgeons that are there, I'm not sure that it's going to be any better um, than the job I have now. Um, they seem to have a lot of the same issues that my current job has, um, but I feel like they'd even be more difficult to address because right now I'm in a very small private practice. I can at least send an email and someone acknowledges something even if nothing changes. This offers for a hospital employee job and we all know how slow they are to do anything. Um, one thing I did really like about the new job when I interviewed was the surgeons who are there. It's a, it's a, um, it's a fairly young group um, and they're very supportive of each other. They double scrub cases all the time. They discuss things all the time. Um, even after my interview, I was talking to one of the surgeons about um, a case I had the next day and she made suggestions and I actually did what she said and it was perfect. It went great. Um, which is not what I have in my current group. It's very much like we're all independent. You know, if you ask for help, you're not going to get it. Um, and I have to make a decision soon um, because of this tight time I'm on. I'm on. But I'm, anytime I think about changing, I'm feeling very anxious. And on one hand, I'm like, well, if they have the same issues, maybe I could just get paid more to deal with the same issues versus, okay, I already know what the problems are with my group, you know, is the devil you know better than the devil you don't know. Totally. Um, well, number one, congratulations for just looking. Yeah, like, thanks. I think so much of us are like, it's cheating. <laughs> like, like, like a relationship. It's, and you're being like infidelity. Of, there was this resident who was a couple years older than me and every single year, once he was done, he interviewed for a job. That was just what he, and, he, and like, if anybody was like, he'd be like, yeah, yeah, no, every year I just interview for a different job. Hmm. And just kind of normalize the, like, you gotta know what's out there. Yeah. You gotta know what the color of the grass is on the other side of the fence. And like, what's the going rate and like, what's available. You might not do anything about it. Right. But just to really, to like, to just normalize that for people, because I think 
we make, and again, it's what we make it mean, right? Like we, we make it mean that we are going to leave or we're, or we're not happy or blah, blah, blah. Like, what if we just used it to like gather some data and like actually love where we are even more? And so I, it's like, good on you just for doing it. Cause like you got more data than you had a month ago. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think the other thing to normalize <clears throat> is like, what if we just said, yeah, yeah. Being anxious is normal about this. Like your brain, as much as your brain, you know, I am putting words in your mouth and I apologize, but as much as your brain might hate the cave that it's in, brains don't like leaving caves. Right. Right. And so you're like, well, now brain, I didn't, you don't like it here, but now you don't like the idea of me taking you over there. Like, what's the deal? And the brain's like, brain's just braining of like, yeah, I really don't know anything about out, like, outside this cave, right? And so just to normalize, like, yeah, there might not be a right answer. And like, and just, to, I think so much of us are like, I'm having a bad feeling or a feeling I don't like. So that means I shouldn't do something. And think of how much that limits people, right? Like I've got this like crazy goal that I want to do. And like, I have no idea how I'm going to do it. And it feels like awkward and exposed and blah, blah. But I'm like, ah, feeling bad about this is just part of the process. And think about all the people who don't leave the cave and don't take on a, a cool new project or because the, they don't, they think the feeling is to be avoided. Instead of like, no, no, that feeling comes with the territory of new, uncomfortable, unknown cave leaving. Yeah, I guess. Um... The trouble, I think, where I think some of the feeling is coming from is twofold. Um, I was originally hospital employed and then um, during COVID lost my job. But really, it was because the chief of service physically assaulted me in the OR. And when I set boundaries with that person and said, you know, we're not going to do this again, they, you know, then had me terminated. And to this day, I still don't know how did they convince administration, people I had a good relationship with to agree to that. Um, so I always said I would never be hospital employed again. So then this job is a hospital, which on one hand makes me very anxious to kind of be hospital employed again. Um, but also because of this very short timeline that I'm on with my boards, I don't feel like I necessarily have enough time to really talk to them and figure out, um, you know, everything about what the job is about. The new chair of the department is very, very straightforward. He's told me what their issues are and who they're looking for and whatever. Um, but then one of the surgeons gave me a tour this past week of one of the hospitals. Um, and then I asked him about his day to day and I was like, well, that doesn't really, I don't know. There were some things that didn't make sense to me. I mean, in a year and a half before you got any block time, even though you have the numbers and um, they said, I guess the hospital system's rule is once the physicians have a three-week wait time in clinic, then they'll start hiring PAs. But these two surgeons have six-week wait time and they haven't hired anyone. Um, and, you know, part of the thing when you're looking for a job when you're in a fellowship is that you do have a timeline, right? You're trying to find a job before you graduate. But then when you're an attending, if it's your choice, then maybe you have more of a time to look and decide. And here I'm just like, well, it seems like it's so hasty. Is it just better to stay and deal with what I have here? Um, even though 
some emails went around this week and now I'm actually understanding like financially how bad things are with my group. Is it better, just easier to stay here because I know what their nonsense is. You know, I have the emails that say what the problems are um, or, and live with that decision. Cause I think I have a hard time living with my decisions, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the person who's going to answer this question for you is you. Yeah. Only you is going to answer, should I, should I choose ship A or ship B? Um, and really the practice is then like, there's a decision to be made and then having your back about it and just being very clean going forward of like, I chose here because we, that's how brains we're brains like, ah, I should have gone to the house. Ah, I should have, but ah, I should. And then you've just got, you've that, you've got that drama because you didn't decide to have your own back with the decision that you make. And here's the deal. There's no right decision. Sometimes we just have to choose for if it's left or, you know, left or right. Well, you know, it's funny that you mentioned the thing about cheating. Cause then I feel like if I do have to leave my group, even though it kind of sucks that I am cheating, um, you know, cause I'm going to go to them and be like, oh, well I'm leaving. And what will they think? And I was like, you know, you shouldn't care what they think. They haven't made any effort to sort of, you know, make this transition a productive one. So why should it matter what anybody else thinks? Yeah. I mean, what, what matters the most is what you think about what you think. Yeah. Truly. I guess my other concern is that, you know, it's like multiple jobs in a few years, you know, I don't know how long I'm going to stay in this city um, that I'm in now, but you know, in the future, will people say like, Oh, something's wrong with her. She had multiple jobs in a few years, even though it's like, well, my class is, has just been screwed with COVID for the last few years. Well, and that's the thing is to normalize. Like, I think the day of like, I was a surgeon for 30 years in one hospital is becoming more and more rare. Yeah. You know, and, and just again, acknowledging that and loving yourself through that process of, again, you can't make a decision today. Well, you can, you, of course you can make a decision today based upon what Paul in 2025 is going to think about your residency. But is that really the best way to make your decision right now? No, because what if I love it and I just end up staying? Like, what if things end up being great and then I just oh, end up... Yeah, somebody wrote in, and I love this. Something my therapist taught me, which has been very helpful, is to keep choosing your choice. I love that. Okay. And I think, again, it's like, you know, the, the, the interviewing every single year of like, I'm choosing to stay. I'm choosing to stay. You're not stuck here. Nobody made you stuck. Your boards didn't make you stuck. You're choosing to stay here. Mm -hmm. And again, that's just part of like having your own back, right? Because yeah. I think we waste, we waste a lot of mental calories on like, I got to know the right decision instead of just realizing like, this is just a decision to be made and there's going to be good and bad about staying or leaving. There's like, because there's so much pressure of like the right decision. And then you've got like years after that of like, was it the right decision? Instead of like, I needed to make a decision with, with all the info I had, I chose option X. And because I chose option X, I'm going to give it two years or I'm going to give it through my boards or I'm going to get, and then I'm going to interview again. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously a hospital can always pay more than a private practice. And I tend to not get swayed by salary because I know there's so many other more important factors in salary. But when I see that, I was like, well, if it's going to be the same BS, at least I could get paid more for it. I don't know. Right? <laughs> 
Ja. Um, yeah, I, I just feel like if I didn't have such a tight timeline, I could probably think about it. But they basically said, if you want us to get you credentialed in time for your boards, you need to tell us this week. And I'm like, oh, I just don't know. You know, I, I always, always thought of myself as decisive. Maybe in retrospect, I'm not. Um, well, when like the aorta is bleeding out, we tend to be pretty damn decisive. <laughs> yeah. There's probably a right answer there. Yeah. But like, this is like, it's not that you're not decisive. Like, stop beating yourself up about that. Like these are too complex. You you have as much information as you have, which probably still isn't all the information, especially since you can't like get the crystal ball nine months from now and watch that hospital get bought out and go on a, a firing spree. Like who knows? Yeah. Right. Uh, and but just realize like have this is a practice in having your own back. Whether that's you're gonna stay and you're gonna make the best of a situation until you get through the boards and then you're gonna look again, or you're gonna be like it's scary and it's anxious, but I'm actually really happy over here paying more taxes because I got a bigger paycheck and I got some debt. <laughs> I forgot about the taxes. Thank you for reminding me. You're going to have more taxes. Uh, <laughs> I forgot about that. Actually. At least you're so, paying less taxes where you are. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I will say just meeting the other surgeons, I felt so inspired because um, I very much like love learning and I love teamwork. And, you know, I always thought I'd be an academic because it just hasn't worked out. So I'm like, and actually just going to dinner with the other surgeons, like inspired me enough to kind of get out of my funk and apply for some leadership positions with professional society and do some other like career things I want to do. So then on the other hand, I'm like, well, if, you know, if you thought the people you're working with were inspiring enough, they brought you out of a funk to do stuff with your career, you know, isn't that much more of a positive than a place where, this is going to sound so snobby, but they're very small time and I feel like I'm very big time. If that's a thought that works for you, use it. Yeah. Like some people are like, hey, the world, the world is, I'm meant for something bigger. Yeah. But that means you've got to you know, you do something about it. Right. 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 Even though you're anxious and even though yeah. it's, it makes you nauseous, like you got to, and that's what like understanding those feelings and realizing it doesn't mean that you have to stay where you are. It's just a normal, yeah. it's, that's normal leaving the cave brain trying to keep you safe stuff. Yeah. yeah. Somebody else had their hand up and now it's down. Anybody else want to put that up? Otherwise I will just keep chatting with thunderstorm. I'll just watch for it. Maybe they had to go change a diaper, pull a foreign body out of a rectum. <laughs> I'm so glad I, I did general surgery for my intern year. I'm so glad I don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> God bless. God bless all surgeons, but especially the ones that play with ball. Yeah. Definitely. Well, you know, um, when I was a med student, we had, um, you know, different panelists of doctors and one of the general surgeons said, oh, he's colorectal. And he said, I like my job. So I'm 50 years old. And I still play with poop. And like, we all thought it was hilarious at that time, but now I don't think so. Um, if while we're waiting to a person to put their hand up, I'd love to talk about that thought of choosing your choice. Yep. yep. Um, Let's do it. Yeah, nobody else has their hand up. So it's the floor is yours. Okay. Because I feel like that's so hard to do to not, you know, to make a choice. Maybe it's not, it ends up not being the correct choice or you're not sure. And then just kind of dealing with it instead of going down that path of, oh, I should have done something else. Hindsight's 2020, whatever, whatever. 
I'm going to put this up just so that we can write it down. But my question for you is, what does correct choice mean? Um, I guess it means that it would lead to the intended outcome or the outcome you had hoped for. What's, your, what's the outcome you're hoping for? So with this particular position, um, that the logistics of the job are more favorable than my current job. What does that mean? Um, so, um, you know, a practice or a group where um, once I have shown the volume or, you know, an increase in practice that the acknowledgement is there, the plan for resources are there. Um, you know, uh, when you're not by yourself, when you're with other people, you know, sometimes for the good of the business, you have to put the business in front of yourself. Um, so, you know, hoping that the new place would do these things, that there would be, um, you know, support from the other surgeons since I am a younger surgeon. What does it make you feel? How do you feel when somebody's like, what if there's no correct choice? What does that feel like when somebody's like, there's no correct choice? Like very anxiety provoking. I like, even now you're just telling me, I'm feeling like the, the word you're like, like, damn like, you tight in my stomach and my chest. <laughs> tight. Definitely tight. Yeah. Why do we need to have a correct choice? Well, I know for me and this, um, this with this particular situation. So, um, you know, you do residency when you're a chief resident, you're like the boss of the hospital, right? You know, everyone, you know, everything. And then, you know, every, everyone's fellowship is different, but I know for the two fellowships I did, because they're a year each, you're the new person. You don't know anything you like, no one cares about, you know, you call the OR to get a case on, they don't know who you are. So in my situation, I've been the new person four times in four years, two fellowships and two jobs. And it is exhausting um, to kind of, you know, have to figure everything out. You're never really comfortable. Um, you know, um, I don't want to say everything's a challenge because you kind of expect it to be that way for you. But if I go to this new place and it's like the fifth time in five years I'm new, that I've kind of like maybe reinvented the wheel in a place that's no better. Whereas at my current job, at least like people in the community are starting to know me. Um, the ORs are starting to know me. Um, I'm starting to meet, you know, make relationships with the nurses on the floor and stuff like that. Um, marketing, I've done a lot of my own marketing. I would be giving up all that effort so far to be new yet again. And then what if the new place is just as sucky as the old place? It might be. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Because I think you know, really looking in to like, what does correct choice mean? And is there even a correct choice? And what comes up for me when there might, if somebody says there's no correct choice, like just noticing the resistance to that. Because how we're socialized, especially as surgeons, is there's always a correct choice. And there might actually be punishment for the not correct choice, right? Yeah. And, and just understand, like, it's so good to be like, oh, I'm so socialized into like, you better effing get this right. Because <laughs> lives are on the line. Yeah, that's true.
And, and to be like, hey, where does it come from that like, why am I so, and these are my words, not yours, but why am I so obsessed about getting it right? Right, whether that comes from like our parents or our attendings or what, wherever it comes from. It's just really good to know, like I'm spending a lot of my brain energy on trying to make the right decision. When, when, when I say, well, logistics are favorable, this is all like stuff in the future. You know, you're just, you're trying to be, I got to make the right choice today for like complete unknowns in the future. And then realizing like, oh, what if I, what if I could think about this totally differently? Of like, there's no, what if there is no right choice? I'm like, dude, thunderstorm, you've got option A and option B and they're neither one of them's right. What comes up for you with that? I still don't like it. <laughs> you're going to tell me which one's right then. Um, yeah, I guess the, you know, the thing is, like I told you, I have the type timeline with my boards is that technically, if I were to leave now, I'd actually be violating my contract to start the new job in time. But I think I have enough with this new, with my current group to get them on like termination for cause that I could just leave. Um and I don't think that they have the legal resources to go after me, but it's like, what if I decide to leave and something happens legally and I have to stay? And then as soon as the deadline for t- starting the new job to take your boards, that's like a very convoluted statement, but um, what if they then say, okay, well, now we're going to let you go because you tried to leave, you know? So it's like, am I going to open up a huge can of worms like legally which will then affect my boards or you know for a job that like may not be worth it well i know but what got get rid in, in our remaining four minutes get rid of the timeline thing yeah like because you because i keep hearing like well because of the boards and the tight timeline i have to make this decision it's like no you don't Just stay where you are which is in itself a decision Right. But I'm really, I'm trying, what I'm trying to, to where I'm pushing you on it of like, this is to make this decision for you. Not because it's the right choice, not because there's a timeline, not because of what Peter might say, but like to make this decision for you as the only reason to do it. Because if you don't, let's say you make the decision because you've got a tight timeline or you're worried about Derek being a dick or something. You're not going to have your own back once you make this decision as much. You're like, well, I had to make that decision because of Derek. I had to make that decision because of my board. And it takes away your power to like fully support yourself in the decision that you make. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Um, You know, taking away that outside variables and seeing, well, what would you want to do? Um, yeah, I mean, if we had no timeline, if there was nothing, I would probably just stay at my current job and just keep looking until something I sort of felt more comfortable that might be better came up. Totally. And if this other, if hospital, see that, if that job's meant to be, it'll be there in two years when you're done with your boards. Yeah. And just, and and love the shit out of where you decided to stay. Not because it's perfect. Not because anybody's doing anything right there, but because you made the decision, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to make the best scenario out of this. 
because now I know this is probably not my lifelong job here, mm-hmm. but for the next 18 months, I'm going to commit because I made the decision to be here till I'm done with my boards. Yeah. And I mean, I have felt that through coaching, I've also learned how to deal with some of the problems here. Like we don't have resources. So the patients get angry and want surgery with someone else. I don't take it personally anymore. So I'm like, I'm not a partner. I didn't lose any money with this. Like this has nothing to do with me type of thing. So I'm like, okay, well, at least I've sort of learned how to deal with what I'm, what I'm dealing with now versus if I go somewhere else and I have to, I mean, I know this is part of life, but then I'll have to like figure out how to deal with stuff all over again. Dude, I mean, everything you're, anything we're learning anywhere is we're, we're growing, we're learning, we get to practice tools and skills, Yeah, you know, and it's, you know, this tool of like, maybe there's no right. Maybe this is all about you just having your own back with, with the decision that's made. Yeah, I think I will definitely um, keep that thought in mind. This I'm just trying to help you not burn a bunch of brain calories. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate it. I think that's very helpful because just, you know, with everything that has happened to me professionally in the last few years, a lot of it has gone to, well, if I never picked my original job, this would have never happened. And yeah. I'm like, well, that's ridiculous. It's like two years gone now. Um, so I think just having that thought of make your choice and pick it for you. And then you, you just deal with whatever happens afterwards. is very helpful. Totally. 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 All Um, right. Well, thanks Kelly. Yeah, totally. And welcome everybody. We're so glad you're here. Thunderstorm has like, is just a joy. You've been here for a while and like for people to understand like your growth, like it's, it's a joy to be part of. Yeah. It's been, I think what, like six months now. Um, I mean, you've been kick ass from the beginning, but like, dude, you're starting to own your, your life and it's fun. Well, thank you. So everyone who's new, it's totally worth it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody. We'll see you next time. All the best. Okay. Bye-bye.